it's been a wonderful morning, and um, my wife always tells me when I say I'm not going to go too long, I go too long. So I'm not going to say I won't go too long, but I won't go too long, okay? I'm going to try. And so that just tells me I may not finish this uh, Sunday, and it may tell me I may continue this next Sunday, and I may not half the time I don't. Very interesting morning we've had. I got up very, very early in the middle of the night after a few hours sleep, and um, I was twisting with those words the Lord kept giving me that strength comes in the sound of silence. And uh, you might have heard we had a little song on while you were breaking the sounds of silence by Simon and Garfunkel. And the lyrics don't quite really get it, but the tone of it gets it, and the theme, the sounds of silence. There is a sound in silence, and it's a strengthening sound, and it's a sound that has some mysteries and secrets in it. Now, um, that having been said, we certainly, we're worshipers. We love to worship the Lord. The The Lord loves worship and praise. We want to thank Leanne for the hard work she does every week, every week as a servant and volunteer pastor of worship in this house and her family that supports and helps as she seeks the Lord and comes with that which she would use. And before she even knew what the message was, she always gets into the theme of it because she's seeking the Spirit of God. And in the sounds of silence, what I want to share with you are just a few points this week, and we'll see where it takes us if we need another week. I wrote to you uh, in the e-blast a little note. I want to read it to you. And uh, no better time than now, especially when some of you are trying to recover from the Pittsburgh Steelers' loss to the Browns, and you Brownie fans are all excited about the win, and everybody's commiserating about the brawl, right? So, uh, the secret of strength found in silence. When a sports team mobilizes on a quarter field of competition, fans cheer, and they raise the intensity of volume with an increasing expectation of making a difference in the outcome. Oftentimes, this home-filled advantage with the accompanying rage of noise at opportune times to either hamper the opponent or motivate the favorite is a significant advantage that indeed contribute to the ultimate outcome. However, there is a supernatural strength found in silence that is far greater and lingering than what a loud crowd can stir up. Stillness in his presence invites a time of refreshing. Sweet quietude settles into an intimate moment when the whispers of the Holy Spirit are tender kisses upon your heart. In a pause of time, the restless soul is calmed with peace and the inner man is fortified. In this realm is a secret place of restoration and personal revival. Father, add to the word that you bring today and let us relish the point of what you're bringing to us. Let it bring balance in our prayer life, in our intercession life, in our time with you that's both vocal and quiet, in the quiet of the night, in our prayer watches, even in our rest and sleep, and in our communications. Might we gleam some of what you're sharing with us here, Father, as we begin to learn and understand the opus operandi of how you operate from the kingdom in heaven to here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 62.5. Now, 
you know, in some of the Psalms, we're able to determine when David wrote and when he didn't write because some of it is almost like we're reading his diary of what he's been going through. And some of the Psalms, we don't. They're written by other psalmists. And so we can never say with absolute surety where one comes from. But in this particular one, it certainly seems to resonate of David's heart, both when he was seeking the Lord in trouble, seeking the Lord as a young shepherd boy all alone in the wilderness, and seeking the Lord when he was trying to find his way back after so many dismal failures, both of his morality and a lot of times of his leadership. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. There comes a point when you've said all you could say, isn't there? There comes a point when you everything that they can say or do. Am I cutting in and out or something? I don't know. I am cutting in and out. Do you want me to use a microphone? There comes a point when you've said all that you could say, or the third parties have told you whatever they can tell you. One of the worst things that any of us can hear is a personal thing, is there's no more hope for you. There's nothing else we can do. And the next question somebody says is, how much time do I have? And then they begin to measure their life by that time. Spoken words can build up and spoken words can destroy and tear down. Spoken words can confess faith and spoken words can speak into being fears. We know that. We understand the power of the tongue. We understand that we have the ability to communicate and declare and decree things here on earth as they are in heaven this church embellishes that. We teach it. It's foundational. It's primary to everything we do and believe. That's why we are a house of miracles, signs, and wonders. That's why we're a ministry worldwide, wherever we are, of miracle signs, and wonders. That's why we believe and declare and decree against all odds that God shall prevail. We don't want to hear what the odds are because we know that with God all things are possible. Having said that, there is a point when there comes a time to be silent before the Lord. And I want to, want to just dig into that with you a moment. These are the times when silences, with his silences and with our silences, when there's a bond of faith and hope that grows. You know, when we just say, Lord, I'm just going to wait upon you, then there's a bond that grows. I liken it to this. You, it's either a child or a spouse. And from time to time, there's a wayward relationship. Something goes afoul. But there's a decision made and a strengthening made that says, I'm going to wait, and I'm going to allow this to pass because I know that family's important, that love's important, that God intends to heal if I will allow him. And so we make a conscious decision to wait. Some say they have to bear through it. Others just say they're waiting. And in that instance, we, we give a chance for faith to build, for trust to build. And we give a chance to find a little bit more hope in the small things of life rather than the large things of life. At a point when you've been rejected, and somebody gives you a small smile, that small smile could mean a lot more than somebody giving you a great attaboy 
when you didn't really need it. We all like them. But that little smile, that little affirmation, the smile of a baby sitting in your arms, a child running that you weren't sure was going to walk, or somebody just thanking you because of a little small thing you did that was insignificant for you but so big for them. Those are times when silence can build great confidence and great faith and trust. Well, the Father, we liken him to our Father and we are the children. Is that not correct? And so it's the same kind of relationship. Sometimes the Father just wants us to be still and to be silent and to give time for the Word. We can be so busy declaring and binding and loosening and, and moving in all of the different scriptures and the words and the declarations and decrees, and I believe in all of that. But there's a time and place for all things. And when we're in a large form, it's very hard to have silence, isn't it? Because of our Pentecostal influence, most of us, for a while, every time there was a silence, we thought it was for someone or me, to give an unction and a word, right? We didn't realize that the Holy Spirit might be speaking the same word to everybody, and that that word was a silent move with God. Or that the Lord may have a different word, and the word that we're receiving was for us. And so, yes, we believe in, in, in tongues, and we believe in, in the interpretation of tongues, but we also believe it must be edifying, but where we haven't been taught well or trained well or where we haven't really disciplined ourselves well as believers in God is in silence. In, in, in the special power and strengthening that comes with silence. One of the things that excites me about worship in this house is that we seem to always move to a moment of silence. We seem to always get to that point where there's not a pin dropped. Nobody even sneezes. I notice because I'm up here, and I pay attention, and I watch, and I discern, and I'm looking at both the spirit of the house and the spirit of the people, trying to measure where is it, Lord, we're going, or what should we do, or what shouldn't we do? And in that moment, I know what I feel, and I know what I sense the people on the altar feel, and I look upon faces, and I see what you're sensing and what you're feeling, there's a, there's a strengthening that's coming in the spirit. There's a release. There's a peace. There's a calmness that comes and restores souls. It's as if we're in Psalm 23, and we say, He restoreth my soul. I lay beside still waters. And those waters are trickling. You know, uh, I love the sound of running water. Um, I like to simulate it. One of the things that I do look forward, the only thing I look forward to on long airplane flights, I mean real long airplane flights, like 12 to 22 hours of getting where you're going. Anybody who likes that is a sick person. <laughs> right, Janine? But the one thing I like is that sound that comes in the airplane when you can hear it from those jet engines. And if there's not somebody crying or screaming or making a lot of noise and I can hear that sound interrupted. It's very soothing. It's very calming. It's like a small breeze. It's like what in Hebrew we would call the nefesh of God. It rhymes with refresh of God. It's a Hebrew word that is the breath of God. When God breathed his breath into Adam, it was the nefesh of God. 
And think of this, the very first sound that man heard. Very first sound. And in that sound was all the DDA that God had, all of his divine attributes were released into this one made in his image, formed out of dust. The first sound was the sound of silence. And the first thing Jesus did when he said to his disciples, it's only captured in one of the gospels. He said, go ye therefore to all the nations. He told them to go with power in his name. And what he did was he, he breathed on them. Now, you know, my mind, I always have to dig. I wondered, did he go to each one of them and go, or did he with his godly lungs, lungs like Jeff Green has playing a horn, did he step back a little bit and go, with a Superman breath? Did they feel the breath in the flesh? Or did they hear the sound of silence in their spirit? But it empowered them. It changed them. And this was before the impartation of Pentecost of the Holy Spirit. This was personal. Personal. I sort of have an affinity for that. Because when I was first saved, I had been hearing the voice of the Father prior to that. I wasn't sure how it worked. I had no teaching. It was so profound that the rabbi, two of them, two different temples, they didn't receive it very well. They watched me cross-eyed. And no one else did that I shared it with, so I just didn't share it anymore. But I was so naive and so untaught, I didn't realize that there's another voice that tries to speak into our mind also, and it wasn't the voice of God. So I had this, this chaos going on in my head, and I was trying to discern which voice was truth, and the only way I knew how to do it was to get out Scripture and find what was said to me in Scripture. And if I did not, I would not receive it. Thank God for the Word of God. But then I prayed, and I did it out loud because I didn't really know that God heard quiet prayers at that time. So I said it loudly as if that woke him up. I said, Lord, I'm having this problem in my head, and I'm hearing your voice, and I hear another voice, and I want to know that it's your voice, and I want to know that I don't hear the other voice, and I want to obey your voice, but I don't want to disobey your voice, but I don't know which voice sometimes. The Lord didn't answer me until that night. And I was asleep, and it was in the middle of the night. I don't know what time. I actually had fallen asleep on the floor in my mother's house. And I'd been outside on a prayer walk with the Lord quietly in the bitter cold of the winter. And I remember it was a full moon. And I remember the, stone, the, the snow was crunching. But it was a good time, just me and the Lord, and just quietly talking out loud with them and listening. 
And sometime in the middle of that night, most likely, knowing now the habits of my life, probably the third watch, third or fourth watch is when the Lord deals with me. I felt this presence come upon me while I was sleeping, and all of a sudden there was a in my ear. And immediately as soon as that went into my ear, I felt as if a needle went into my head. And I woke and I looked around and I felt the still small voice of the Lord say to me, son, now you know my voice. I've pondered that ever since. And I've realized that the still small voice of God that gives me that peace is the purest, most truthful voice of God in my life. So let's dig a little deeper, if I may, please. I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit very strong. I feel the presence of his peace. I feel the presence of his affirmation that this is his word for us today. And so, a whisper in the soul, the silence of God. Silence in the Lord, for me, is an intimate experience of him showering my soul with divine kisses of love, peace, reassurance, promise, and hope. I'd like us to turn to Exodus and in that, uh, to chapter 19. You know, let's just stop a minute and pray. The enemy's been trying all day, uh, destroying our sound before we came in, destroying my keyboard, completely wiped out all my notes and messages from yesterday, the middle of the night, and this morning. Completely gone. Completely gone at 8.30 this morning. And I didn't panic. I just said, okay, Lord, it's in here, it's in here, let's pour it out. So I very quickly put it together. But Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you, Lord, to give us that hedge of protection we need for the technical aspects of this house and this ministry. We ask you, Lord, to protect all of the electronics, our sound, our microphones, and all of the functions that we require in order to be a ministry with an outreach, as you've called us to be. In the name of Jesus, we rebuke every foul spirit. We cancel every stratagem and plot of the enemy that comes against the technical expertise and the mechanics of this house and our equipment and all that we have and all of us that are serving. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. That's why prayer is so important before we start every morning, isn't it? So... Exodus, let's turn to Exodus 14 very quickly. Now we know that Moses had delivered the children of Israel um, at the hand of God from Pharaoh. The tenth plague had happened. The first male of every household was destroyed. The only ones that were spared were those that had the covering of the blood of the lamb over their doorstep as the angel of death of the Lord passed over, not the devil. Well, that's another teaching, but it wasn't the devil that passed over the covering of the blood of the lamb. It was the Lord's hand. Teaches us a little bit about what we think about the blood, okay? Be a little careful. So, having said that, Moses now 
They're put into let's get out of town gear. They're, they're, they're bogged down with all of the wealth of Egypt. There's three million of them that we know of and probably more trekking out of there as fast as they could, lingering with all of that, downtrodden and weary after 430 years of slavery and serving. Generations passed on, generations born, old, those that were young, those that weren't well, those that were broken. But they left. And Moses is leading them. And there's a word that comes from the Lord. He says in verse 1, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pihaheroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal Zephon, before it you shall encamp by the sea. Now, just so you know, that's a wilderness place. That's, that's between being in a rock and a hard place. The sea before you and nothing to go back to, except for Pharaoh. God turns up the intensity a little more. He's not content with just making it a natural hard thing. For Pharaoh would say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored. Turn to your neighbor and say, God wants to be honored. I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Well, Pharaoh came out after them and he, got, he assembled his chariots, uh, 600 of them, warriors that were, ch were chasing after them with all due speed. And it says in verse 8, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. What does it mean they went out with a high hand? Lifted up hand, a hand of praise to God, one would assume, correct? The high hand of Moses saying, let's go this way. The high hand being, hey, God just delivered us. He got his, we got ours. We are full of money. We are out of here. We're leaving with a high hand. But then, all of a sudden, the themes begin to change. But the Egyptians pursued after them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them. Verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew close, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Well, here's the visual I get. Their hands came down and their eyes went up. They began to see through the eyes and they forgot to worship God anymore. They began to dwell upon the bad news that hadn't even happened yet. They began to worry about the fears and they looked at their circumstances between a rock and a hard place. There was nothing else that they could do. So instead of the hand staying up, the hand came down and the eyes looked out towards Pharaoh in the army. Well, God wasn't finished, was he? And they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. Wherefore, you have dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt. Is not this the word that we did tell you in Egypt, saying, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. Murmuring, Complaining, yes, 
The Egyptians got angry with them every time there was another plague, and Pharaoh's heart got hard again, and they took it out upon these children of Israel. Yes, they went through some hardship that intensified before they were delivered. Yes, it seemed like there was nothing else left. Yes, their word contradicted God's word, and they gave Moses, and I told you so, didn't they? They were content in the place they were in, not in a silence of faith, but in a silence of prison. They had accepted that they were prisoners. And they had accepted that this was their way of life. And Moses said unto the people, verse 13, Fear not, stand still, stand still, stand still. Fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. That's the same word for deliverance and redemption. One of the words that's used in Hebrew for the one who redeems and saves and delivers is Gael. A Gael is one who has the authority and the power to deliver. Moses had already shown him that God had invested this power in him as a deliverer, as a Gael, but they forgot so quickly. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. What's better? Having to put up with them curse after curse, day after day, 430 years, or to get between a rock and a hard place and see your problem never again. The Lord's ways aren't our ways. Our timing's not his timing. The Lord's in the past, the present, and the future. He deals with things by dealing with the past, the present, and the future. He, undo, he undoes the past. He gives fortitude and strength in the present. And he prepares the future that you can walk into. But if we put things on pause, and if we say his ways aren't right, we're either stuck in the past or we're paralyzed in the present. And the future becomes dim and dimmer. The Lord shall fight for you and listen to me. You shall hold your peace. You know what that word is? It means silent. Let me share it with you a moment. The Hebrew text says this. Now let's think a moment. Several centuries and timelines beforehand, God spoke in a fire, in a mountain, in a shaking, in an earthquake, in a flood, he moved with terror and with other ways, but this was a new language. This was a language to be silent and still and to know that I am God. But this language was moving between the past, the present, and the future. This language was untangling every bondage. This language was for the Lord to get his honor. That language is the most important language. Our deliverance is important to God and to us, but God getting his honor in is, is his first and foremost principle. And so we see in this that, that the Hebrew text is different for silence. I'm going to give it to you in a moment with another example. And then something happens between verse 14 and 15, and my fact checker will be able to tell me that. She's, she's shaking her head. The Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Hold your peace. Hold your peace. Be silent. Be silent is what it means. And the Lord said unto Moses, How come you're crying to me? 
Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Moses began to cry out to God, but we don't see it in the scripture other than that. I think Moses wrote this. He was probably ashamed. And he didn't want to ruin his pedigree, his resume. So he didn't say that I was crying out to God, what happened, where are you at? Even though God had told him, watch what I'm going to do. I'm not only going to deliver you from this, you will see this problem never again. He forgot all of that in the moment of passion. He forgot all of that under the pressure of his peers. When the church began to cry out, I want to see something now, I need it right now. Moses, instead of saying, you heard the word of the Lord, he began to cry out to God. What did God say? God slapped him down. Why are you crying out to me? What's wrong with you? Speak to the children of Israel and tell them what I have said to you. And then he told them, lift up your rod, stretch out your hand, divide it, and the children shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow you, and I will get me honor. Come on, say it. I will get me honor. Not the best English, but let me tell you, it's God's word. I will get me honor. Otherwise, Moses, shut up. Tell the children to be silent. It's time for me to get my honor. How many of you know that when God is in the move of something and sometimes there's an ill-gotten word spoken out of time that it gets in the way of God's honor? We can dishonor God ignorantly, not intending to do so, but we just think our word's more important than his word. We think we have something to say that's more profound than what God has or knows. And in the meantime, God's in the doing and we're in the undoing. I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. He's going to wipe them all out. He's getting them all. Now remember something. God is a God of war. How many of you know that? God's, God told Moses, I'm a man of war. He said, I'm a man of war. God had already taken the firstborn. He took away their hope of generations. Now he's taken away the Pharaoh and his warriors. He was mitigating Egypt down to a third world army in a blink. Because they had defied the God of Israel, and because of the 430 years of persecution, the time had come. God said, I'm going to get Pharaoh, I'm going to get his chariots, I'm going to get his horses, and I'm going to get his horsemen. I'm going to wipe them out, because I'm going to get me honor upon all of them. You know, I like knowing that God's going to wipe out all of my problems that he's not going to leave. If God's going to heal cancer, don't leave a little seed of cancer in me, Lord. If God's going to heal a problem in my spine, don't leave something in my spine that's going to nag at me tomorrow. Thank you, Lord, you're getting it all. If God's going to deliver me from poverty, thank you, Lord, that poverty isn't going to return again. If God's going to bless me in my bank account, thank you, Father, you did it once, twice, and three times in two weeks. Thank you, Lord, that I needed a car. I couldn't keep the one I had. You took that and gave me a new one, and I didn't have to pay. He took care of the whole problem with favor. Thank you, Lord. They may withhold my $1,200, but God, you're going to give it to me, and you're going to return it to me double because that's who God is. Thank you, Lord, that I get in the way. I make promises, and I'm too weak to keep them, but Lord, you stay in the way all the time. Help me to shut my mouth, Lord, and not to make vows and commitments that I can't keep or won't keep, but just to wait upon you. 
and help me not to get in the way. And so Moses, Moses is now strengthening. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I got my honor. And the angel of the Lord, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood before them. Past, present, future represented there. Behind, with, and ahead. That's how God wants to move in your life and all your situations. Not just making a way where there is no way for the future. He wants to cover your back too. God can make a bad reputation good. Oh, people that only want to see a bad reputation will only see a bad reputation no matter what you do. But God will make a bad reputation because he will say, who believes the report of the Lord? I believe the report of the Lord. As we decrease, he increases. God will make all of those promises and hopes that either we didn't fulfill, couldn't fulfill, or fell, fell uh, on our faces on, God will make another opportunity. Your mind may say, I don't see a way out of what's in front of me, but God's telling you, be still and silent. Watch what I'm going to do. By the way, he said, I'm going to take care of the past too. I'm going to wipe it out. The debt that you had is gone. And not only that, they didn't treat you right, so now they're going to have to give you a check two times a month for the rest of your life. Huh? 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 Is that possible? Did we just hear a fairy tale? Did we just hear something that, that is too, too, too profound to believe? That's the way God is. But sometimes we need to get out of the way. And we need to be silent before God. And we need to bring rest to our soul. This ministry, this house, we deal with a lot of brokenness. We have a lot of pastors that, that come like this. They're dragging a broken leg, coming out of a place where the church hurt. I know, me too. I've been beat up, banged up, cursed on, left multiple times. But every time there was somewhere better that I was supposed to go. I didn't see it. But I dragged that leg into the new place of hope. And God, like always, changes our name. When our hip goes out of joint, we're no longer Jacob. We become the promise of Israel. We're restored. We have a new walk, a new gate, a new strength, a strengthening that comes in the silence. Jacob was asleep with his head on a rock. <laughs> a rock. A rock. The rock. His head was on the rock. Sound asleep. God transformed his life in the silence. Completely against his expectations. Completely contradicting the way he thought it was going to happen. And in the midst of his fears, he was afraid. He was afraid that they were going to catch up to him. And they were going to hold him account for what he deserved to be held account for. The deceiver. But God wiped it out. In a moment. In a moment. Well, let's move very quickly to 1 Kings 19. Elijah. Huh? The still small voice. Elijah. Elijah 
had just seen tremendous miracles of God, hadn't he? I mean, God showed himself in a mighty way against the enemies of God, against the false prophets. He exalted Elijah. He showed him his power. And all it took, all it took was one intimidation from a fouled-up woman named Jezebel. How many of you know there's a spirit named Jezebel? There's another one named Absalom. Jezebel and Absalom, I call them Pete and repeat. They love to hold hands and go cause confusion, chaos, fear and intimidation, destruction against authority, rebellion. That's who they are. So this manifestation of Jezebel was the manifestation of that spirit. The manifestation of Absalom who rebelled against the kingdom of God that rested upon his father David had a spirit. And those spirits are working today. Jezebel and Absalom. All it took was for Jezebel to send a message to Elijah. I'm going to get you by this time tomorrow. If my gods don't allow me to prevail, I will kill you for what you have done. Instead of standing his ground between the rock and the hard place, in the place of the wilderness where God would divide the sea if he needed to, Elijah beat feet. He was a nice guy. He stopped on his way and left his servant off in Beersheba because he wanted to die. He had enough faith to believe God would let him die, but he didn't have enough faith to believe that God was going to take care of Jezebel. He was weak in his spirit in spite of it all. And in that place, he all of a sudden becomes self-righteous and pitiful, doesn't he? And here's what he says. Verse 9. God gave him two cakes, gave him a supernatural portion, sent him on a journey for 40 days, and there he arrived and he came into a cave, and the 40 days didn't do much for him. The fasting on the cake didn't do a whole lot for him because he was talking and saying the same things he did when he ran from Jezebel. Fasting and prayer will do nothing for you if you don't get silent and listen for God. It'll just raise your self-righteousness unless you bow before God. A fasted life is a good thing, but it's not good if it's making you arrogant. It's not good if you don't take the time to hear from God. So here's what he says, verse 10. And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And now they seek my life to take it away. He tells this to God again. Can you imagine the Lord shaking his head? But yet out of his mercy, his compassion, the righteousness of God, he says, I'm dealing with a frail man here right now. So what's he do? He says, go, stand upon the mount before the Lord, Mount Horeb, the place where God meets man. He went, took him to that place. So there was an expectation, I'm going to meet God here. God has a reason for me to be here. But I think his expectation was to carry me home, sweet chariot. Eventually it happened. God answered the prayer. The chariots of fire showed up, but not this time, because he had something else to do. He had to pass the baton. He had kingdom work to do for God to get me honor. 
And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and broke it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. He saw all of this. He was part of it all. It all, it was like, it was like, happening in Hollywood right before him. He was in the midst of a landslide, rocks breaking down before him, the earth dividing before him, fire falling wherever it came from, maybe a hundred bolts of lightning in a row. I don't know. It was all there, a God fest of nature. And I'm sure he stood there amazed that first of all he was alive, and secondly, waiting for the chariots of fire to come take him away. But God wasn't in any of those. It doesn't mean that God didn't cause them. It means that the word of the Lord was not in any of those. His deliverance wasn't there. The answer to his prayer wasn't there. The promise wasn't there. It wasn't in any of the, listen to me, circumstances. He couldn't create them. He couldn't stop them. His intent was to die. Lord, I want to die. I'm the only one. There's no one else left. This Jezebel wants to get me. If it's not her, it's going to be more. Things are not good here, Father. There's nowhere for me to be. Come carry me home, sweet chariot. It's time for me to book and get out of here. That's how he was praying. The Lord wasn't in it. And it was so when Elijah heard it. And when the, after the earthquake of fire, verse 12, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the, the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice on him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Well, let me give you a little lesson in ancient Hebrew, please. That word, that says that small voice, it actually interprets soft silence. In ancient Hebrew, it's a strange word. It's, it's like your mama. It's the mama. The mama. And what it means is it's this strange recollection that there was a sound in the silence of God's voice. It got Elijah's attention. He'd never heard that before. What did he do? He took his mantle and he covered up his face and he went outside because he knew that this was the glory of God. He knew this was something special. He knew this was beyond his experiences of the past. He knew that something very holy had come upon him. So he put his mantle on. He was covering himself in the protection of his own mantle. And he went out to the throat of the cave. And the Lord spoke to him in this precise silence. What does he tell the Lord? With his mantle on, 
What's he tell them? Verse 14, a repeat. I've been very jealous for the Lord God. Because of the children, they've forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They kill your prophets. And I, even I, am only left, and they seek my life to take it away. He still can't see through the problem. Lord, you don't know how long I've worked at this. I've worked at this five years, 10 years, 15 years. Lord, I've been at it. I've been obedient, God. Don't you hear? You either do it or I'm giving up. Lord, it's been too long. It's been too long, God. The Lord said unto him, Go back the way you came, but stop in the wilderness of Damascus. And when you come, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Listen to this. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall you anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abijah-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in your space, in your room, in your office. And it will come to pass that he that escapes the sword of Hazael, the Syrian enemy, the one who escapes your enemy, the one that your enemy doesn't kill, the snare that your devil doesn't fall into, the problem that the one who made it for doesn't encompass them and swallow them up. The cancer that tried to come in your body that doesn't devour itself. The problem that came to you unfair. Your enemy, anoint that one, and it shall come to pass that him that escapes the sword of Hazael, your enemy, then Jehu, the king of Israel, he's going to kill him. He's going to kill your enemy, and him that escapes from the ward of Jehu, then shall the prophet get. Elisha, God is turning your enemies to do your work. God is turning the benefactor, your covering, to do your work. And when that's all done, God says, let the prophet declare the word of the Lord. I'm going to kill him. Anoint it, Elijah, great man of no courage. Great prophet of prophecies. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. With a band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me. Back to the wilderness. Go back to where you came from. Meet your problem, but now go with the authority to anoint. Anoint your enemies. <laughs> They'll bow. And if they don't, anoint your friends. They're going to get them. And if your friends don't get them, the prophetic word's going to shoot them right through the heart. The steel, small voice. No greater witness than Jesus on the cross. No greater understanding of the power of silence than Jesus on the cross. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its own shears is silent, 
he did not open his mouth. Jesus didn't defend himself before the charges of Pontius Pilate. Jesus didn't cry out on the cross and call for legions of angels to deliver him, even though he could. He was stolen into hell where he didn't belong, for sins he didn't commit, for a punishment he didn't deserve, for you and I. And in that place, this is what I believe. I believe he stayed quiet. I believe he didn't whimper. I believe he didn't quote scripture. I believe he didn't respond to the charges. I believe he didn't rail against those that were mocking him again. The party that was going on in hell against the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the very Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Creator, the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus Christ. He didn't say a word until it was time. John 17, Father, I pray you give me back the glory that I had with you always. And when the time came and that Holy Spirit, he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father and the same Spirit that raised him from the dead dwells in you and I. And if so, it says he strengthens our mortal bodies. It was time. And I don't think there was any negotiations. I don't think there was a long dissertation. I think Jesus exploded in the glory of the Father in the depths of hell. He took the keys. He said, you're finished. I've conquered him. You're done. You no longer have the keys. I have them. Now you're reduced to nothing. It's time to go. The silence of the power of resurrection. It's deafening. It's powerful. And it stupefies your enemies. I don't know about you, but Nothing gets somebody more agitated with you when they're trying to agitate you and you do not speak. There's a proverb that says, even the ignorant fool looks smart when they don't open their mouth. It sort of makes sense. They look sophisticated. They, you think they're really thinking deep about something, but the bottom line is they have nothing to say. You're not ignorant. You're wise in Christ. The silence of your strength is deafening in God. I'm going to end with this personal story. I think a few of you need to hear it. I had a rather surried life. <laughs> None of you did, only me, prior to coming to the Lord. I know that y'all were perfect. Y'all belonged in, you know, what's that? what was that movie on the prairie? What was it called? Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, you're all from Little House on the Prairie. I had a rather surried life. Very surried life. I don't want to get into too much of it other than to tell you that 
I was in the highest levels of moving stuff, let's just call it stuff, from the West Coast to the Midwest. Lots of money, lots of cash. Had a whole network set up. Was prominent here in this area. Jeff knows some of the people I knew then. They worked for me. And all of a sudden, this little Italian Jew got saved. And the conviction came in my heart that I needed to stop that right now. I didn't know how to unwind it. I didn't know what to do. But I knew that I could not be involved one more hour, one more day. So I went around to the network for one week. And I told them all, your debts are forgiven. I only have one condition. You forget everybody else's debts that owes you. You won't be getting anything else from me. And you won't see me again. I'm done. That went okay amongst the network. They were happy. How many of them quit? I don't have a clue. Many of them are dead. But it didn't go so well out on the West Coast. I got a message. If you don't pay us, we're going to kill you. And we're going to kill your family. We're not buying all of this stuff. I didn't know what to do. Couldn't go to the police. Didn't have a pastor. Who could I go to? The rabbi already threw me out of the, out of the temple. So I got silent before God. Got another message from a person I'd never seen before showed up at my door on the north side of Selma Avenue with no electric, no power. Said, I've been sent to give you a message that someone's going to show up at the Youngstown Airport this time in three days. Be there. Either with the money or with yourself. Without the money, it'll be the last meeting you ever have with anybody. With the money, he'll get on the plane and go home. So I waited silent before the Lord. I said, Lord, you just told me all these things you wanted me to do. It looks like it's coming to a quick end. This is for real. There wasn't no Jezebel that was coming. And I couldn't meet it the way I would have met it before. So the day came, the hour came. It was an hour before the plane was supposed to land. This is when United and those were still flying into Youngstown Muni. I got in my old Oldsmobile car that barely ran, left the north side, got to Logan Avenue and Churchill Road. It's called Sea Cedar Corners at the time. It's a gas station on one side and empty building on the other side with cars. My car began to smoke and it froze up right in front of the gas station. Some guy came out, we pushed it in. I said, I need this car to get running right away. I got to get to the airport. He says, you're not going anywhere. This thing's froze up. I said, I need to go. Can you take me? He said, no, I can't take you. I've got other people in front of you. I can't do anything. No phones, 
We didn't have cell phones then. No one to call. No money. Started walking to the airport. Because I figured I'd rather die than see anything happen to my family. Problem was, by the time I got there, it was four hours later. No one would pick me up. People just blew by me. I got there all ragged and tagged and ready to go. Nobody there. Looked around. Nobody there. Just one person that knew who I was. And they said, hey, do you need a ride? I said, I sure do. Back to the north side. He said, that's the way I'm going. I'll take you back. I went back to the north side. Next day, that guy that came to my door came back. I said, here it is. Let's go. Let's get it over with. He said, I have a message for you. Your debts are forgiven. I said, what happened? He said, I don't know. But when that team got off the airplane, they saw some of the meanest, baddest people they've ever seen in their life. And they got out of there. And they were told if they ever came back, their pieces would be scattered over the earth. I said, really? He said, yeah, they want no part of you. Your debts are forgiven. Silence of God. Someday I'll get the story who those bad dudes were. My God delivered me in silence. I'll never forget that as long as I live. So this is our opportunity, the Lord said, to dig deeper, to find an intimate place in the hollows of our heart, a space where we hear his voice like we've never heard before, a special place, a place where that voice is taking care of the past, the present, and the future. A voice that dissolves your problem and a voice that refreshes your soul. A voice that allows your spirit to shout with joy and peace again. A hope that is beyond just a mere chance but a faith that knows that God surely shall. His words are true. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I know my plans and purposes for you. They're good to the promised end. And no power in heaven or earth or under the earth shall ever separate you from my love and my love conquers all God is faithful I hear your voice the voice of a still small whisper she wrote that song just hear the Lord telling me that many of you need to stop the voices in your head.
Let go of them right now. Don't listen to them. Let go. You're not letting go of dreams. You're letting go of chains. It's time to move on. The Lord, he shall deliver you. And if your enemies don't destroy your enemies, and if your friends don't destroy your enemies, then the prophetic word of this prophet says right now, let your enemies be gone. In Jesus' name. Be gone. Torment, gone. Fears, gone. Condemnation, gone. Poverty, gone. Broken relationships, healed. Dreams, make them new. Visions, let them flow. Let the poor say, I am rich. And let the weak say, I am strong. weeping because I'm sad. I'm weeping because of the presence of His Holy Spirit so strong. Can you sing that song? I want to open this altar up. This is not a time for us to, to gibber. It's not a time to explain anything. It's simply a time to be anointed. To be silent. 